0: Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, the COVID crisis that's right on our doorstep.
1: Government of Fiji have been warned that Decision Blahem for sending out COVID-19 patients go
2: home for isolation. We are creating a double tragedy. Public health emergency, people are dying as well as we are not doing anything for the economy. Yesterday
0: marked another deadly day for Fiji, with six more dead from COVID-19 and 636 new At cases. At least two
1: more deaths and over 400 cases were confirmed. We had
0: 522,
1: so it's a huge jump. It's a very scary Thursday, jump. Another new record. There are now over 3,800 positive people in isolation. Despite, Despite the alarming spread of a second wave of COVID-19 in Fiji, medical authorities say that
0: Yesterday, another grim record was set with hundreds more new infections. Since April, there have been 7,870 cases and 40 deaths. But already that's out of date, and who knows the real figure. What we do know is that Fiji is currently leading the world infection figures on a per capita basis, and the government is ignoring calls for a full
2: lockdown. The- Crisis is an ongoing crisis, so we're just mopping the floor, feeding the feeding the people, um, organizing the medicines, uh, and trying to get people into livelihoods because we're not turning the tap off. We're not we're not uh, uh, halting the virus. Fiji-based Sashi
0: Kieran runs the charity Friend, the Foundation for Rural Integrated Enterprises and Development. In the past two decades, it has helped the poorest people in Fiji with small farms and food production. But right now, it's focused on getting food and medicines to families in Suva, Nandi and hard-hit parts of the western region. She says they're on the brink of disaster.
2: They're barely surviving, and once they don't have food, these are the families who will be starving. The violence situation uh, increases. Uh, parents are frustrated. They're not able to fam- uh, feed the family, the children. It means that they would not be able to not only feed the family, but they lose the dignity. they will have be mental issues. They are begging for food. That that's the space they're in.
0: And this is because they've lost any kind of income because of COVID and the and the impact on the tourism sector. That kind of thing.
2: So because we've had massive lockdowns, huh? um, Nandy was in lockdown. Lotoka was in lockdown, and there is no form of economy happening. So naturally, the ice cream seller, when the lockdown happened for two months. Cannot sell his ice cream or uh, sweetly, you know, or wheelbarrow boys. They, so there was no market happening. So, and these are very low income earners. So that means they had almost no savings. So surviving two months uh, without any money and without any social protection, uh, basically how would anybody survive? There, there is no social protection options huh? mm. Unless we, people like us, are the ones supporting but there is no national social protection for these guys. They don't get any kind of government assistance? We have seen in the recent times government has uh, allocated $50 uh, per family for somebody from informal sector. $50 barely gets you food and then fuel and then medicines and everything else. Mm. So, So they had done one round of $50 about a month back and they're doing another round of $50 right now, actually.
0: And how many families or individuals are you helping?
2: Um, we have something like twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 people who have applied uh, on the database, I know. On a weekly basis, at the moment, we're doing about 1,300 families on a weekly basis. That's 500 Suva, 500 90, and about 300 to 400 the rest of the Western Division.
0: So, Sashi, can you describe... What it's like when you go out and how things have changed over the last year in Fiji and the communities that you're working in.
2: At the moment, we are trying our teams uh, very hard for them not to get out in the community. And we're trying to get people to make sure they are highly protected. But when we're going into the communities, we're still seeing masses without masks. Uh, people trying to reach uh, hospitals so that means they are climbing the buses the public transport even though it's supposed to be half full it's uh, fully full and each time there is a social protection like the $50 that I've just described is going to happen people line up they line up um, to get the $50 out Um, and that means we have um, thousands of people getting exposed on a daily basis And that has us very worried because we are not having any national lockdowns. We are exposing our people to um, crowds. Uh, Large numbers of people are getting out there desperate for food. Now, for two months that was in lockdown, uh, the Western Division was in lockdown. um, People were not even allowed to go and fish. So even if they live by the water, they couldn't fish or they could barely fish. So food had become a real um, challenge. And the little islands outside the wharf in near Lotoka were not allowed to fish and they could not come into town to uh, do any shopping. So food and medication is something that we moved in very rapidly and making sure that people who are needing asthma and diabetes, hypertensive medication, that they have it.
1: Do you love your family? Wash your hands regularly for 20 seconds or use hand sanitizers.
2: There are lots of uh, messages, but it's very uh, packaged in a very formal way. Protect yourself and your family.
1: Watch the Fijian government Facebook page for the latest updates.
2: We need national leaders to be uh, speaking to our people and not only speaking. For example, uh, any squatter family or any person in village and in Nandi in particular where people are normally renting were renting, have moved into family homes because they can't afford rent and bills. So a house may have 10 to 15 people, maybe with one toilet facility. How do you avoid contact in a family like that? So we need to break it down and and explain if somebody is going out, what are the things they need to do, you know, how they need to wash themselves, keep away from children, keep away from elders. There has to be instructions, what is the general feeling of
0: people? I mean, are they afraid? Because, the, you know, the number of cases keep climbing every day,
2: the number of deaths are climbing. It's different in different parts of Fiji. Um, so Suva, because you even touch a wall, you can get infected at the moment. Most people we know have somebody infected or somebody dying. So Suva is extremely angry and fearful and are asking for a lockdown. Whereas Nandi and Lotoka has just been opened after lockdown. And even though people are realizing that the numbers are going up, there's a lot of confusion because sugarcane cutting is starting. Uh, There's all this push to open economy. So we still see a lot of crowding. And I think like the West almost seems to think, oh, the problem is in Suva. You know how you never think that the problem is at home. Mm. And people are thinking, okay, how do I make money? Because there's no social protection. Uh, How do I feed my family? Do I feed my family? Do I go into town and look for a job? Uh, and, and in turn, they're exposing themselves. So these sorts of decisions have to be made by national leaders. OK, we need to provide you with food and medicine at home. Stay put for two weeks or four weeks or whatever it takes for us to get rid of the virus. Because the more people who are getting sick, for example, you, our numbers are in, in say, 5,000. In entire country, we don't have 5,000 hospital beds. What does it mean if numbers keep climbing? We have out of the five thousand, maybe less than a thousand in any in the hospital facilities, about five hundred people. The rest of them are in community halls. Do they have anybody medically taking care of them? Most of them are staying at home, and we're finding that people are coming to hospital too late. Uh, you know, because they deteriorate, they're not able to get transport. Nobody will transport them. We have shortages of ambulances, and then by the time they're coming to hospital, they're dead. Um, So this and and the the situation is the S numbers escalate. More and more people will be lying on the floor somewhere because there's there's simply no facilities to keep them. And there's not enough medical personnel to go around looking after them. There's not enough medical personnel to go around swabbing them. Half of Ministry of Health is unwell right now or have been uh, put in very compromised positions. Um, So, yeah, people who are understanding the figures and what it could do to the nation and the death levels are very scared and very angry. Whereas grassroots people who simply are thinking about feeding their families are out and about trying to find food for their families and in turn putting themselves and their families at risk.
0: Fiji was doing well. Christine Revoy is a reporter for RNZ Pacific. She has family and friends in Fiji and will be returning there at the end of the month to cover the crisis. They had hundreds
1: of, of citizens returning home. They had the, you know, the MIQ, the quarantine facilities set up. They were, you know, monitoring people, testing them, screening them as they arrived, and everyone was going straight into quarantine. And it was they were doing very well. Fiji went a full year without recording any community cases. And then in April this year, a flight that came from India.
0: It, it was a Delta variant
1: that apparently two Fiji nationals returning from India brought back with them Then a soldier working at the quarantine facility contracted the virus. Now, the soldier was isolated in the facility, but he had an interaction with one of the maids. And so it meant that the maid and other soldiers uh, that particular initial one had been in touch with took the Delta variant right into the community and right into a funeral with 500 people in it. The people that attended that funeral did not only come from the Western Division, which was immediately locked down when when the case was confirmed, but they came from all around the country, which is just a recipe for disaster at that time. I mean, people came from as far as the capital city from Suva, from, you know, Navua, And these are areas that are of interest at the moment. This is where the outbreak is being centred now in the Central Division. But I think at that time, the government thought that they had everything under control. I think it was a bit of being too confident about them being able to maintain such a good record. And I think they got too cocky in a way. And they only locked down the Western Division at that time in April. But they didn't lock down... The whole country, and people that return from the funeral to the capital city, and the central division is the most populated area in Fiji. We've got like half of the population lives there. But you know, these people are returning to informal settlements, and crowded settlements, you know, squatter settlements where these pe- most of these people live. And that's just a recipe for to spread the virus and. Fijian's way of living is very communal. Houses are so close. You step out your front door, the neighbour's house is right there, and that's how they live. And so at that time, the advice about staying home, practising social distancing, the message was out there, but people weren't heeding it,
0: people weren't actually following it. Because why? Because the government wasn't communicating it? There wasn't
1: enough communication. They rested on their laurels a bit, I think, the government, in, in, in not maintaining that... Monitoring and surveillance of, you know, we're still getting people coming into the country on Mm. these repatriation flights, and most of these flights were coming from India.
0: So parts of the country were in lockdown. Why didn't the government lock down the whole country? That's a great question, and and that's one that just
1: baffles everyone. I believe that at that time they didn't think that the virus had been spread to the Central Division. They were only more concerned about the Western Division, which is... Lord and Nandi, where the facility is and where the woman was living and where the funeral was held, so they concentrated all their efforts in the western division
0: and is it a case of there is so much pressure because the the economy is in such a bad way?
1: They were in a rush to get you know the borders to reopen I mean Fiji was on on the front seat on the travel bubble with Australia and New Zealand they were conv kind of Vince, they were going to get a seat on it, that was back then. And because they wanted to open, the rush to open, reopen the border, get the tourists coming in, I think the focus was mainly on that. And and while, yes, there were efforts in the background to keep monitoring the flights coming in, monitoring our quarantine facilities, but I think the emphasis from the government was more on we got to get things moving. Uh, the economy is depleted, people are suffering, tens of thousands of people have lost their jobs. Poverty has struck Fiji.
2: There's no two way about it. People losing their
1: incomes, they're staying home more, uh, and also the stress
0: of unpaid bills. The rents have not been paid. Um, People cannot
2: afford the life they used to have.
0: Before the pandemic, tourism accounted for about 40% of the country's GDP. This current outbreak is adding further financial pain for businesses
2: we still trying to make sure that we are trying to run a business trying to feed the families of those that are working for us that um, like the crew they still have their own families they still have their own rent to pay so i think it's as a business owner we still have our still have that responsibility
1: to be honest the government doesn't have any money mm. And so, so they can't afford
0: to do wage subsidy schemes, anything like that? There's no, There
1: hasn't been anything since uh, March last year. Now yeah. they, they're having these $50 assistance that they're giving out, which comes out every month or so. But that's not consistent, especially for those that live in these informal settlements and, and squatter settlements that have no work, have lost their jobs, and they're getting $50 a month. I mean... It's hard.
0: You are obviously in contact with family and friends there. What are they telling you? My
1: mother, my elderly mother, is still in, lives in Suva, and she's been vaccinated. So is the family, but they've been they've been safe, you know. And all my friends, because we're fortunate that we don't live near the containment mm-hmm. and, and the red zones. But in, in saying that, they're also being very. Cautious about movement. They have only one person going out, and the same with my friends. Some of them have workmates that have died in the recent outbreak, and and to be honest, Sharon, there's a feeling of anxiety, and people are a bit stressed because you know the kids are not going to school. They haven't been to school for the last almost three months now. Everyone's stuck in stuck in the house. Amid all of this, they're still growing calls across the country for a national lockdown, which is kind of weird when you think of the way um, other countries, it's people that are against the national lockdown. It seems like there's a lot of people calling for a national lockdown, but government's still holding out on that front. That's right, Karoy. Unfortunately, um, the government has made it clear time and again that even with the um, uh, renewed calls from both the other side of our parliament and from leaders of the community, even from uh, heads of our, you know, commerce sector
2: asking for a lockdown, still the government continues to reiterate that one, there will not be a lockdown, two, they're happy with the response or the strategy behind their current health response, but three, that, that they cannot afford a lockdown. People
1: are saying that. If lockdown is what gets us out of this, let's do it. While there are others that are saying lockdowns will affect them because a lockdown will only affect people living in these settlements, these squatter and you know, informal mm. settlements, because
0: they're the ones that will suffer more. If the government's putting out messages, whatever those messages are, are people in these very tight communities, are they even getting those messages?
1: The communities that are in the you know in the central division we're talking this is the capital, mm-hmm. and the technology is available. I think nearly everyone has access to a mobile phone, and everyone's on the internet, everyone's on social media, and I think they're getting the messages, but whether they're hearing the messages is a, is another story Sharon mm. and I think that's been our biggest problem in Fiji. People are just not listening, but is it because things are so desperate? people are desperate they're frustrated. They were hoping that this would have been over by now. We've seen the arrests that have been made by police in the last couple of months since April. People are still defying the curfew.
0: Police stand guard at the edge of one of Fiji's COVID hotspots. Unless you're a health worker, no-one is going in or out of the Gawiya settlement.
1: Up to 100 people a night being arrested. I just believe that people just don't care anymore. You know, they've lost their jobs. They don't even know half of them believe that they won't be able to get work back again for the next, uh, for how long? And, mm. and and how are they going to survive?
0: But also of concern for many are growing signs of social unrest and even public protests. That's quite unusual in Fiji. It's unusual. It? It's unusual. This is very strange for Fiji. The government in Fiji is, is no- notoriously difficult, isn't it? Um, it doesn't like criticism. What sort of impact has that had, you know, for getting the truth out there and, and getting good debate going, being able to ask questions?
1: In the beginning, they were very transparent about the information that was coming out from the government. They were holding press conferences. The Prime Minister was fronting up, the Health Minister and all, you know, his, his officials. And they were, you know, addressing the nation and... and and that was good. And the media was able to ask the questions that needed to be asked on behalf of of, of the public. Mm. That stopped in the last two months. Why? Uh, you know, I, I believe that the questions were going to get a bit harder than than ever. And I don't think they were ready to, to, to address those. Mm. If you, you realize that you're in a, in a crisis like you are in now, these are people they voted for and put mm. in power. And I think it's only right for the prime minister to front his people and explain to his people... Uh, this is what's happening, we're in this crisis, but we're in it together.
2: While our government is trying hard to open economy, it's, it's doing it in a context that we live in a normal world. Instead of saying, OK, maybe the business houses need to trick the grocery store in caravans into local areas where people can purchase in their areas instead of coming into town, They're opening supermarkets, and all the supermarkets that have been opened in Suva have been infected now. These are hotspots. Instead of uh, bread, people coming to buy bread in town, we need the bread delivery to go into the communities. We need to rethink how do we model um, economic activities around what's happening Um, in terms of the numbers that we're getting and how we're exposing our people.
0: The vaccination rollout is happening fairly quickly, but what's the outlook for Fiji?
2: Not good, because vaccination rollout, even if people are taking the JAB1 now, they're taking the JAB2 in two months' time. So you're looking at what happens in the meantime. If we don't mitigate now, in the next two months... um, all the um, economic activities are being opened. Sugarcane cutting is being opened. Everything is out there. That means in the next two months, people will keep getting exposed and more and more people will die. Fiji doesn't have a hospital system um, or a healthcare system to take so many deaths and so many diseased. Um, at the moment, I, we order things from Suva. Almost every shop you're talking to are having major issues of supply because their staff are down. And that'll be the case all over Fiji. So Outlook is looking very poorly. We need to lock down the virus, and especially in the West where the numbers are less, we need to lock down, clean up, and then rethink how we're opening. We simply cannot open the the normal way by just saying have a mask, have a a sanitizer, because people are using public transport. Uh, There is not enough uh, sanitizing happening and uh, facilities... And remember, businesses in the West have been disabled for so long that they don't even have enough resources to look after themselves at the moment. So to have all these additional burdens of making sure it's sanitized, you know, they're sprayed, buzzes are sprayed in the morning, you know, on a regular basis, these things are not happening. And that's putting more and more of our people at risk. And you would have seen that the statistics shows that more indigenous people are dying. Is it worth it? Is it worth opening up? And pushing along and killing so many people in the in, in the long run, or is it worth shutting it down for now, and trying to f- refigure out how do we actually open, and that means government needs to have consultation, which is they have something that they've been refusing to do, they have been doing some tokenism, uh, participatory budget consultation, but there's there's been a call for national sit-down of opposition of NGOs of government together to have these consultations so that we can all put in and to make sure that our citizens are protected, but those sorts of actions are not being taken. (laughs)
0: That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. Alexia Russell produced today's episode, Jeremy Veal engineered it. And thanks to Sashi Curran and Christine Ravoy. Kakite.